This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 30. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss the latest episodes of the hit series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the eighth episode of Season 10, The Lie of the Land, and it's the final part of a three-part Monks trilogy, we called it. Uh, I think everybody's calling it that now. Uh, You just have to, you know go with the flow. what else would you call it <laughs> no. yeah it's about it pyramid trilogy the zombie trilogy i don't know at monk's is kind of on the nose well anyway joining me today as always uh on the panel are father cory stika from malta montana hi father how's it going and also jimmy aiken from san diego hi jimmy howdy dom so uh, the lie of the land, and uh, the 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 we've talked we talked last week about the title, uh, where it's um, it's a kind of a play on words where we talk about the lay of the land is when is how you is we you t- kind of take in what's in front of you and and kind of understand the what's real what's real exactly and then it's just play on words because the the lie of the land is is they're 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 telling untruths they're lying to us um, uh, t- to everyone. Um, and everyone so, believes a lie. I have to make the punts. We're going to get the, the lay of the land of the lie of the land. Yeah, that's right. This episode, we're giving you the lay of the w- lie of the land. <laughs> I would have rather watched the land of the lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually. The origi- original 70s version. The monks do kind of remind me of Sleestacks. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> and Nardole could be, oh, what was his name? Uh, Ch- uh, Ch- Chaka. Chaka. <laughs> Only out the other end of the hair spectrum. <laughs> okay, I I have now uh, got like f- gone full like seventies nostalgia moment. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll gather myself in. Uh, I did remember. I do remember watching that uh, on Saturday mornings. So the writer this week, uh, Toby Whithouse. We we did, talked a little last week about uh, Toby and his track record, which he's written some good stuff. Um, and he's ish. also written <laughs> some ish. Okay, well he wrote. Um, so let's kind of go through what the, some of the stuff he's written. He wrote School Reunion, which was season two. Uh, yeah, it was the, the nice thing about that, yeah. really the only standout thing about that is on the casting. Yes. Because we got to see Sarah Jane Smith again, and we got to see K-9 again. Yep. Otherwise, it's a forgettable episode. Oh, and uh, mm-hmm. the actor, oh, I had it before, and I didn't write it down, of course. Um, he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, who was the actor yeah. who played the bad guy? Oh. Right, so you got yeah. the baddie, just but it's all casting. This is stuff outside of Toby Withouse's control. Yes, that's true. That's true. The other, otherwise, mm-hmm. the episode had issues. Uh, Vampires of Venice uh, in season five. Um, that was an early Amy Rory Eleventh uh, uh, Doctor episode. Uh, your favorite, Jimmy, the God Complex in season six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about. I think we did talk about that last week, right? We, we, yeah, we, we did. Okay. Um, this uh, the next, and then the town called Mercy, which was a season seven episode. It was basically Westworld. Oh, it was horrible too. I mean, it was <laughs> it was just abominably put together. There was, you know, where Doctor Who has actually done 
um, an episode like that. That's kind of a remake of an episode they did back in the first Doctor's Time or a series mm-hmm. they did in the first Doctor's Time called The Gunfighters, and where the Doctor and his companions, uh, Stephen and Dodo, get caught up in the events of the OK Corral shootout in Arizona. Uh. And they and that was similarly played. It had it played off com- both comedy and pathos. And um, and it was vastly better done than A Town Called Mercy, which just has incredibly bad shooting jokes. It's like, no, it only it, there's even the the, the characters are, are acting so irresponsibly with guns that at mm. one point the sheriff just says, if you're not an American, stop using a gun. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually unintentionally a really good line. Um, yeah. And then the, the most recent thing he wrote was um, the two part. Uh, in the last season, under the lake and before the flood, um, which was which were fairly forgettable to me anyway. Yeah, they were okay to me. There was there was some good elements to those. I I, I did like, um, but it was a complicated. Um, I mean, it's 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 hard to complain about time travel on a show about time travel, but it was a complicated time paradox episode, and it was mm-hmm. there was elements to that that I just had trouble kind of buying it was the one where uh if you see this the alien writing it infected your brain and turned you into a a, a ghost that sort of thing um kind of like the veritas code in this yeah. season well and then it, it, it's that's interesting because yeah i mean it's sort of revisiting it's recycling essentially i mean it's if you want to be nice you say revisiting <laughs> or if you <laughs> or if you didn't like the episode you call it recycling and he he's sort of recycling that idea um there's one other actually interesting note about this episode, which is he's apparently an, the only writer who's been allowed to write for Missy besides Moffat himself, hmm. which is hmm. interesting. interesting. Even and, when, and even the Missy scenes could have been Moffat scenes in this episode because of his role as showrunner. Right. Well, yes, he could have he could have come in and written them. But, but apparently he didn't – Moffat doesn't have a – writing credit and it wouldn't have would have been enough right if he'd written those scenes so this was uh, uh presumably Whithouse wrote all of it um which is interesting given the turn that we get on missy in this but we'll come to that mm-hmm. um so let's get into the the opening the the cold open we have the doctor giving a a documentary style voiceover uh, of a propaganda film that the monks yep. tells us the monks have always been on Earth, and I got to tell you, as I'm listening to him talk, I'm like, "Wow, Peter Capaldi could take over for David Attenborough after yeah, he's was, done yeah. <laughs> <I was> just, <laughs> with, the, with the BBC I Nature just, documentaries." I was just I, saying that I was going to say that. I mean, that sounded like David Attenborough type narration, you know, yeah. just that that you know, that bring that energy and that excitement to it. It's just like this is interesting. <laughs> I, I appreciated that uh, because it, you know, for ever since Peter Capaldi's been associated with the show and really even before he was announced as the doctor, people were talking about, oh, he'd be a great doctor. What a great actor he is. And, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Peter Capaldi outside of Doctor Who. I tried watching one episode of his former series, The Thick of It, and it's like, wow, this is just <laughs> 
way too much profanity. Yeah. Um, and, and I hadn't seen a real basis in his time as the doctor for what a great actor he is um, because of the material he's been given. I mean, he's, he's progressively become more likable, uh, but given the, the kind of arrogant zaniness and re- he was stuck in regeneration madness for a whole season. Um, given that, I mean, I thought he was a funny actor, but he didn't have, a lot of range. He wasn't being allowed to show a lot of range other than occasionally getting angry. And, but this monologue where he is doing propaganda and he makes any sounding warm and inviting about it. It's this really gave me a glimmer into Peter Capaldi's range. It's yeah. like, okay, he is a good actor. He sounds totally believable in this propaganda nonsense. It, there were a couple of really interesting uh, little Easter eggs in it. So you know, we had the images of the monks in, had inserting themselves into history. Um, there was the, the Da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, where there's a yeah. the monk mm-hmm. is the, the Vitru- um, We had the the monk sitting instead of the Mona Lisa, you know, for the Mona Lisa painting. Um, I, I like that the uh, the three greatest inventions of humanity are the light bulb, the telephone, and the internet. Um, <laughs> also interesting that the monks were, were you know, are given credit for defeating the Daleks, the Cybermen, and Weeping Angels, which is kind of uh, uh, interesting because those are all the Doctor having done it. Um, right, and then and, and that is then counterpointed uh, with uh, this. Also, we've never we've never had a Weeping Angels invasion, right. Which is kind of interesting because we have had Dalek and Cyberman invasions of the 20th mm-hmm. century and 21st century, but not Weeping Angel invasions. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, unless you count the uh, Angels Take Manhattan. I mean, there was, they were kind of yeah. all over Manhattan, and you had the the Statue of Liberty become. Uh, I, I guess. Weeping Angel. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's a it's a stretch. It's a stretch, but you're right. It's yeah. not <laughs> not at the same level that the Cybermen and the Daleks were. I mean that that those were those were true invasions where everyone saw them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and actually, think about it. Maybe it's just a throwback. We're looking at like the three great uh, villains of uh, Moffat's time at the helm of of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. That would be an interesting way of putting it. And future showrunners may be disinclined, at least for a while, to use the Weeping Angels again. Yeah. Right. Well, like a lot, like all great villains, they're best when used sparingly. If you mm-hmm. become right. too familiar with them, that was uh, always Star Trek's problem. Um, you know, oh, the, the Ferengi, and then they became, you know, basically the clowns of space. You know, oh, the, yeah. the Klingons, but they became yeah. our buddies. Oh, the Borg. And then, you know, so when you use mm-hmm. these villains too often, um, that, that's a, it's a good point. The, the, the Weeping Angels uh, are best used sparingly because they creep me out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, we have this documentary, and it's interspersed a little bit with this family sitting in the, their home, uh, watching the, this propaganda on TV, uh, wearing the gray pajamas, which apparently have been issued to everyone in the world in the last six months. Now everyone can only wear gray clothes for some reason. It's been a that's sort of an odd touch, and um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't understand that a little bit. Uh, well, it's I think it's very much like a 1984 type. Mm-hmm image you know because when you see the movie they're all wearing just bland clothes and they're all kind of marching and that scene where uh 
Bill is walking with the crowd. It kind of has that feel of this crowd moving yep. as a group, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the color the color palette is meant to show us the drabness of the dystopia that we're watching. Yep. Also, so is the fact that they've apparently invested a lot more in issuing new clothes to people than they have in garbage pickup. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, the, exactly. At least that was a little more felt a little more subtle. I mean, the the clothing change just seemed a little bit on the nose, a little a, a little over the top in trying to get a point. Like, okay, I get it. It's we're in, you know, dystopian uh, 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 time here. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I is, it, it kind of when I saw that, I kind of, kind of set back that. And apparently, everyone has been issued uh, nice um, uh, oil paintings of the monks that uh, they they're required to hang in their home. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was just for for the, all this occurring in six months. You know, I know they're very powerful, but it just given. Given the events of this episode, it's just this: are they all powerful or are they not all all powerful? And that's been this that this weird balance that has yeah. been off in this episode. So we'll we'll get through that anyway. And the the the, the family is watching TV, and the jackbooted thugs break open the door, and the mom is arrested for memory crimes for claiming that no, the monks have not always been with us; um, they've only been here for six months, and you know she gets hauled off. Uh, to you know, serve ten years in prison. Uh, I like how she tells her her son to be a good boy yes. <laughs> as she's being hauled off. <laughs> yeah, be good for mommy. I'll be back <clears throat> in ten years. Um, we we see these um images, these flashes as we're looking at the people, and it's presumably it's as we find out later the the psychic link reinforcing the the monk's propaganda in people's heads. And we always see superimposed this logo, and we also see the logo on the doctor's propaganda film, uh, Truth, which is an interesting callback to Veritas, which is the yeah. Latin word for truth. So it's kind of an interesting connection with that earlier episode. Um, whereas, whereas there, the 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 veritas was the truth, but right. here, the so-called truth is actually a lie. <laughs> right. It's it's min, it's again going back to 1984. It's min true, min the ministry of truth. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you're right. I mean, this this episode r- really heavily pulls from from uh, the book 1984 in in a lot of the atmosphere, at least of of the way things are. By the way, before we move on from the propaganda sequence at the beginning, um, I just wanted to point out what to me was kind of the first of the big plot holes here. Why is the doctor making this propaganda video for them? Why have they, like, and we'll find out later, they put him in a special facility and stuff. Why? Right. I mean, the doctor is not particularly known by the people of Earth. Um, you know, he operates mostly in the shadows. He's not recognized everywhere he goes. Exactly. Why would they pick this guy uh, and make him their make him their central human spokesperson? Well, uh, I mean, there, there. I could. I'm sure I could come up with a headcanon reason for that, but they never give us one on screen. No. No, the the doctor really never explains why he's doing it. Yeah. Well, you that's know? we know. I mean, other, that's the other half of it. Go ahead. Out. No. Yeah, we think, we know that the reason is because he's the main character of the show. Right. But the writers can't simply rely on that. They need to give us something more than that if they want us to make sense of this. I mean, about the closest thing we come to an explanation is it kind of implying that it is part of the doctor's plan to pull Bill out, but. That's an implied thing, and that's not really stated explicitly. Is that it was just all part of his plan to, you know, keep her, I don't know, keep her 
sane, I guess is the word for it. Well, part of it, they don't tell us, you know, what the, how well, the last we saw the doctor, he was his cure, his blindness is cured. He's in this lab. So how did he become to be in the possession and the control of of the monks? The monks. Um, wh- right. wh- what are they holding over him in order to get him to? To do that, maybe they exactly. are holding the you know uh, Bill's life in you know saying, well, if you don't follow along, we'll we'll kill Bill. To yeah. uh, to unfortunately quote another movie, but you know yeah. it's but it's, yeah. but you got to say it, you got to tell us right. Even even then, I mean, this is wildly out of character for the doctor. I mean, any yeah. previous doctor, virtually, when asked to make propaganda films for the Daleks or the Cybermen or anybody would say, heck no, and would would just adamantly refuse. And they owe us more of an explanation than they give us for right. why he would break character in that way. I'm not saying that it's impossible. Um, you know, I mean, I can think of several explanations. In fact, ones that I've seen used in other Doctor Who media for mm-hmm. why the Doctor would suddenly seem to ally himself with the bad guys. But um, but they, they, they need to give us something of a reason, and they don't really do that here. So one of our listeners speculated this week, having seen the trailer for this week, that the Doctor um, was in fact uh, a character from the old, the classic Who, um, who was, you'll have to uh, remind me, uh, starts with a V, um, uh, the essence of evil pulled out of the Doctor. The uh, Valyard. The Valyard. Yep. Someone, so there was some speculation that maybe the Doctor was the Valyard um, in this episode, but you know, would have been more interesting. Yeah, it would. But you'd still have to sell it. <laughs> you have to tell mm-hmm. where this guy come from. You have to build it. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's that's the first of the of the and not the last of the plot holes uh, that we're gonna uh, see here. So what we see is a bill uh, witnesses this arrest on the street, um, and then we we pan out to see these big statues of the monks around London, um, quick flashes of images, and then the doctor ends with. I gotta say. Peter Capaldi ends with this great creepy smile. <laughs> it was so oh, creepy, nice. but it was also the angle that the director <laughs> chose, um, and then says, "Relax, do as you're told. Your future is taken care of." I mean, it was. I guess uh, that was one of my favorite moments in the episode because it was so yeah. great. That was just a a great creepy moment. Um, you know, that was probably one of the better ones. But I, I have to admit, this episode drove me nuts because they did a lot of the odd angles, like the where you know, looking almost like you're a little kid looking up at them, or yeah. just different strange angles, and it really drove me nuts. Dutch angles, they're called. Dutch, yes. The, so the yeah. director this week was um, uh, Matthew Yip, I think it is, or, or Mark. I forget the first name, but uh, he's a director on the the new Doctor Who spinoff series, Class. Um, and has come over to direct this episode. The so. newly ended it's, Doctor Who spinoff series class. Uh, canceled? Yeah. Yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, it's a yeah. Wayne, Wayne Yip. Wayne uh. Yip, yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I was not super excited by the cl- by the show class, just as an aside, by the show class, and so I hadn't, I hadn't been watching it. I, I just, I hadn't seen enough of the Coal Hill School in the, when they the students of the Coal Hill School episodes last season, that made me say, "Oh, this is something I have to watch." Without the Doctor being there, it just it wasn't. Exactly. It, it looked like it was going to be a Buffy the Vampire Slayer knockoff, frankly. Um. So it's that's that's sad. It couldn't have been more. You know, more Doctor is always better than less. So uh, we go to the credits, and then we open, and we have Bill making two cups of tea, and then she sits down and imagines a conversation with her her mom and now 
we, we have this narrative device being used again to give us this exposition of what's happened. She's she's relating to her imagined mom um, w- the events because the mind control is starting to make her forget what really happened. And this is the second of, I think, three um, narrative voiceovers we get during this mm-hmm. episode. Uh, and I don't know if they if there's if that's supposed to be symbolic of something or if it's just bad writing because we need to get all this information across and we can't do it just by the actors acting um this this is this is one of the problems in the new era of doctor who the old era of doctor who before the 2005 revival was much slower paced but at, which is its kind of big fault in that the stories are sometimes they there's too little story for the time allotted. They'll have six mm-hmm. part episodes and, or six part serials and only enough plot for four. Um, and so they stretch it out by running through corridors a lot and constantly having people get separated and captured and re- rediscovered, um, which is just kind of filler. But um, in the new series of Doctor Who, where they've gone to virtually every Everything is for, done in 45 minutes. It's the opposite. They have too much plot for the allotted time. And yeah. even in this uh, trilogy, where in theory they could have paced it, um, you know, in a more le- leisurely way, they've still set themselves up for we've got a six month gap here where the world has radically changed and that's going to require a lot more exposition. And they have to just force it in there to communicate to the audience what's happened. And so I saw one criticism uh, by uh, some other folks online of this episode as just being way too much exposition and not enough happening. Right. Mm-hmm. That I would agree with that. Well, they've, they've fallen I, into I, the uh, they've fallen into the uh, Star Trek trap. You know, you watch some of the Star Trek series. Like I've been rewatching Deep Space Nine, and there's so many episodes where they build, they build, they build, they build, they build. Five minutes before it's over, poof, it's done. Right. And yeah. They just flash back to the station, and oh, here's what happened, and here's how I fixed it. Yes. <laughs> and that was it. Yep. One of the things that, uh, and I think I concur with this, that about we're in the part of the show that worked the best. The whole first 20 minutes of the show, the dystopia, mm-hmm. even despite the exposition, it worked the best. And it was principally carried by the acting of Peter Capaldi in the opening propaganda film and by the acting of Pearl Mackey. Yes. Um, both with the visuals of her in in the propaganda film and in the segment we're in now where she's actually delivering dialogue. Um, she, her performance is, I think, really good. It shows us uh this the serious side of bill mm-hmm. and that's kind of a new dimension for her that we're getting to see and uh and and i i want to give her props as an actress um i i think that uh i think that she did a, a good job here um yes. one of several acting performances in this episode that i thought was was really well done um i i also think uh nardal and missy were yep. really good in this episode. Yep. So the good things for me in this episode were the acting performances that we got to see and mm-hmm. kind of the opening dystopia sequence. Everybody and that's to- what I have to say about what was good. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody feels that um, uh, Matt Lucas did a lot with very little. He wasn't given a lot in this episode, but he he did a lot with it and provided yeah. the, the right amount of levity that we needed. Yeah, um, he definitely... 
he definitely had to turn up the camp in this one. Yeah. You know? While still being retaining a little bit of the uh, of the bad boy Nardal, the kind mm-hmm. of action hero that they established yep. a few episodes ago. Although uh, when he when he shows up in a moment. Um, uh, and 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 he both he, not be bad boy. <laughs> well, both both he and Bill scream in the same re- register, which is a, the same pitch. Yeah, same pitch. Know, that was yeah, great. Same pitch. <laughs> it, was, it was very very cute, very funny. Um, so, but you, the, you know, there's a, there's a there's a famous story from uh, from uh, late in the classic run where they had hired an actress named Bonnie Langford to play the Doctor's oh, yes. companion, Mel. And Bonnie Langford was known for doing musical theater and so forth. And I think she played Peter Pan. And um, in any event, she was known as a singer. And so they asked her on the cliffhanger for one episode to scream in the key of F so that it would blend in to the theme music. And she, <laughs> and she nailed it. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is, I, I, that is awesome. I love that. Um, she she was known for her for screaming though. I mean that that's like her entire time on Doctor Who was just, pretty much screeching. She was a screamer, <laughs> yeah. To use the jargon of the era. Um. So the, so Bill is here and having this uh, imaginary conversation with her mom. Um. And I it it made me stop for a second to think about the monks and just to kind of wonder, what's their motivation? Like, why are they here? Like, wh- why what are they getting out of the the planet are they getting natural resources does obedience like power their ships i mean what's the point <laughs> we never get they an never explanation of nope. like, right of and and then they kind of just at the end just kind of oh well we're done and leave it's like that to me was one of the big flaws of these three episodes is we never actually understand anything uh, at yeah, the end no, of this. no clear motive. At least with like the Daleks. Okay, the Daleks. We know their motive. They want to. Uh, they they they're xenophobic racial purists. Right. And so they wanted to. They want to ultimately conquer everything and destroy all non-Dalek life. In the case of Cybermen, again, we know their motivation. They want to upgrade everybody so they can be Cybermen too. In the case of the Weeping Angels, we know their motivation. They just want to eat. And the way they do that is by sending people into the past. But here we have no motivation for the monks. Which is interesting given that, you know, the, in the fir- I think it was the first episode where the doctor kind of talks about, like, there are a few things in the, in the galaxy that are evil. Most things are hungry. But we don't get a, underst- we don't have an, ever have an understanding of are the monks hungry or evil? <laughs> you know, we, yeah, we, I mean, we don't understand them at all at the end of this. You might be they able want to make the argument. dominate, but why? Yeah, yeah, you might be able to make the argument that they dom- they they feed off of people's uh, being dominated. You know, right. uh, when they're submissive, when people are submissive, they feed off of that. But it doesn't explain that. Again, this is this is right. headcanon as much as anything else. Exactly. They, they don't actually. If they do, if even if they just come out and said that, that would be something. Anyway, um, so one of the an interesting little uh, Easter egg here, and uh, and I gotta. You, credit uh, Bennett Gillespie who on our uh, Facebook page also saw this and pointed it out. Uh, Magpie Electricals shows up yep. in, yeah. uh, in this. Uh, Magpie Electrical, we, we, I think the first time we see them is in, a, in season two, uh, the Idiot's Lantern. It was uh, Queen Elizabeth's 50th anniversary um, celebration and, uh, and the, the Doctor and Rose um, stopped uh, the, basically TV from sucking people's brains out and their faces. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately Mag- not in the real world <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh the um 
But we see Magpie actually show up a few times after that. Um, last season, when the Doctor was playing guitar, electric guitar, back in the uh, 12th century, he, the the uh, amplifier was a Magpie amplifier. Mm. So oh, sure. They've shown up a few times, but uh, so when they're bringing them back again, I just I, it's, I, it's it must be just like a it's a it's a a fan Easter egg because it has no yep. other real mm-hmm. meaning. Well, and it's it's I th- I thought about that. It's Okay, maybe there was a time in history when people would gather around like electrical shops that have TVs in the windows, but who would do that today? That's true. I mean, really? Yeah, they'd all be looking at their phones. Exactly. Well, maybe the monks confiscated the phones. <laughs> you, you know, I, I was re- people used to gather around department store windows and look at other stuff too. I was reading an account of it was from a letter that Sir Arthur Eddington had, he was a famous British astrophysicist, had sent to Albert Einstein telling him that his most recent paper, the pages of his most recently published scientific paper, had been pasted into the windows of a local London department store and people would gather around and read them. Interesting. Well, I, I, I'm guessing most of them didn't understand them, but they would make <laughs> the effort. <laughs> it, it's a different time. Um, so, uh, as we noted, Nardole is back, who he screams just like Bill. Um, I like a couple of really great parts of this conversation. Uh, one of yeah. the one of the ways that she determines that it's really him is what sound is what noise do space doors make? Shook shook of shook, course. Shook, shook. <laughs> 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 um, he he tells us he's not fully human, and that's why the the bacteria didn't kill him; it just made him sick. Um, yeah. By the way, by the way, notice how they don't pay off the dramatic final moments of Nardal in the previous episode right. where we saw him, you know, passed out and either dead or dying on the TARDIS floor. And now we just have, we, he has an off screen recovery and we get a verbal bow put on that afterwards, right? but we don't get to see any of it. I mean, because they had made it's such a dramatic, you know, moment and uh, yeah, it was, it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, I mean, they, and the sad part is they could have taken three seconds, four seconds, and just flashed to him as he's describing that he was sick for yeah. six weeks, showing him, you know, waking up and dragging himself to one of the chairs in the TARDIS. Yeah, that's it. That, yeah. that would have been enough. And that's sort of our, our going to be our constant complaint, isn't it? Uh, with this episode, is is that's just they could have done a little more. But of course, we know that there was so much to do that they had, had end up having to do voiceovers to tell us more. It's just this: yeah. there was they were biting off more than they could chew in this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, the, uh, Notice just, again, Nardal is using exposition. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, Bill reveals that she's talking to her imaginary mom, and uh, again, another great Matt Lucas moment where he he says, yeah. I-, "I thought your mom was." Dead. And he kind of whispers, "Dad died <laughs> when you were a small you were, child." Yeah, <laughs> like, like you, when people whisper when they have when they say like what a bad thing. It just looks great. Yep. Uh, the doc- I, I like the part better, I, even more than that. I like the next part where he says, "Oh well, that's not too unusual that she's talking to her her dead mom." I used oh, to yeah. have an imaginary friend too, and left until he left me for someone else. <laughs> 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 just i mean it's the again best parts of the episode so we find out the doctor is being held on a prison hulk uh, in the north sea uh, of course uh, which gets For some uh, non-specified reason <laughs> of course right yep. uh which gets food deliveries every six weeks and uh there, there there's one in two days that they're going to catch that boat because the ship's captain 
um, his son had been sentenced to 10 years in prison for having comic books. Uh, I love that. That was nice. Yes, yep. that was good. Um, Not and, sure why it's a memory crime, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, Bill keeps uh, keeps narrating by talking to her mom. We keep having that device. So, you know, Aunt Mom, we're going to save the doctor. Uh, they're... they're uh, and that continues throughout the episode. Um, they get to the ship. Their their papers. You know, the 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 guard asks for their papers, and then they're interrupted by the appearance of one of the monks, who comes in, stands in front of Bill, and looks right at her. Um, if Bill is the linchpin, why doesn't the monk recognize her? Yes, I yeah, know exactly. It, if, if she's this, and furthermore, if she's this super important person and their continued control of the planet depends on her passing this link on to her descendants, as they later explain, why haven't they, why aren't they keeping tight control of her in some facility somewhere and already trying to breed her? Well, that raises another important problem, which is that, um, if we're going, if if Bill has any choice in the matter, her pre- preference so far has indicated isn't for reproduction. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, it, they that that part gets not mentioned at all. <laughs> like it's they just jump right over that and move on. Um, but even like there's we we get told there's only twelve monks altogether. Why is this one happened to come into the room at this moment? We, yeah, like, and why is this monk never mentioned again in this episode? Right. Because even after we get in contact with the doctor and we find out what the doctor's really been up to, nothing happens with this monk. He just walks on the set to distract people from the fact that Nardal doesn't have any papers, and that's the end of it. He just provides right. a moment of distraction and menace, and and there he has no other function in the whole episode. Right. It's just it's a, a loose thread hanging there. So then we get and th- we get to what I think is the low low point of the episode. Uh, we might, others may disagree, but the doctor's elaborate yeah the doctor's elaborate charade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's excessive and goes too far. Uh, I I think like you know that we have this debate between free will and safety and the doctor advocating you know we have to give up free will for your own good and. Um, Bill takes a gun from the nearest guard and shoots the doctor. Now, if those guards were real guards, she'd have been dead as soon as she grabbed the gun. I mean, they all had rifles yeah. on her. Right. But Yeah. But- also, I mean, really, the doctor needs to test her to the point of trying to not just get her to pull a gun on another human being, but on him. Right. You know, that's, he has to test her to that point. That's, that seems excessively cruel. But, and yeah. then, and then the worst part uh, is yep. the fake regeneration, because oh, yeah. I think it is disrespectful to the fans, because it's the the entire because you know that the entire reason for doing this is to fake us out because we know a regeneration is coming, uh, that this is yeah. the end of, and and <clears throat> oh no is this the end of Peter Capaldi I'm not ready for that and it's sort of the hype up your emotions in a moment and i just think it's it's a it's a manipulation of the viewer because frankly bill has no clue about regeneration so it's not for her benefit no. right so yeah she, it, okay. it's it's it is badly done um i can have some you know i can have some sympathy for the concept of kind of 
touching on the regeneration before it actually happens. Um, for example, in one of the best Star Trek movies of all time, Star Trek II, The, the Wrath of Khan, it was known in advance <clears throat> by the fans Leonard Nimoy's character was going to die in that film. And so um, rather than have the audience kind of wonder, uh, you know, all through the movie about when that's going to happen, what they did is they, uh, Nicholas Myers, I guess, uh, the director, had Spock apparently die in the opening sequence in the Kobayashi Maru test. And then he's back. And so you've kind of touched on that and released the expectation and the audience can then forget about it for the rest of the movie until it happens for real at the end. Um, and it worked in that case. And I can imagine similar things happening on Doctor Who, but this isn't one of them. Right. Because no. the fans have known for a long time, Peter Capaldi is going to be in the rest of the season. We're only on episode eight. We know he's still there in the Christmas special. Um, and the way they do it is particularly insulting here. I mean, they've he's driven Bill to the point of shooting him, which is unbelievable to begin with. Right. Um, I, d- I don't think Bill would ever really pull a gun on anybody, given what they've set up about her character. Right. Um, and then, you know, he does the slow thing with releasing the Artron energy from one hand and then from the other hand, and then he goes full on cruciform. And then suddenly he just brings his hands to his face and it's all done. And it's like a big joke. And mm-hmm. it, 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 it is, it does not, uh, it, it, it's, it, 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 it I guess they want the audience to laugh along with that at ha ha, they got us. But this, in fact, is one of the things that has honked off more fans than anything else I've seen about this episode. Well, there was the, there was the whole thing about where he was, he, uh, Peter Capaldi was on Graham Norton and, oh, yeah, I've already recorded my regeneration at scene. Was this it? Was this what he was talking about? Right. You know, it's yeah, just like, maybe. this is ridiculous. Yep. And and then on top of all this, uh, we have the 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 other question, which is: is are the doctors, uh, are the monks, not keeping tabs on the doctor? Are they not watching him? Yeah, they've <laughs> got him in a prison ship, after all. Right. I mean, they had that that lab with the bacteria under constant surveillance last week. Uh, wh- mm-hmm. Why are they not watching the the and there's... the person who they determined two episodes ago is their their greatest threat to their control of the of the world? They're not keeping tabs on well and there's a yeah. camera there so you can't use the excuse oh they don't have cctv well he's got a camera he uses to broadcast his little messages I exactly mean, so true yeah by by the way one other thing on the regeneration um we have seen the doctor fake a regeneration before uh that happened with uh with matt smith's doctor yep. at lake silence where mm-hmm. the the perp, but there there was a, a reason for the faking. Um, it was it was so he could survive an assassination attempt that was otherwise going to happen because it was a fixed point in time. Right. Um, and so so that made sense. We've also seen the doctor voluntarily use some of his regeneration energy, which is called Artron energy. Um, there's an episode of David Tennant's Doctor where. In order, the TARDIS has like been jumped to another dimension, and to get it back, he has to use a little bit of his own regeneration energy. He says it's going to cost him like 20, 25 years of life, but it's worth every moment to get the TARDIS back where it needs to be. So the only prior occurrence we've seen 
where he is voluntarily using this energy, <clears throat> it's at a personal cost. And that mm -hmm. makes it all the more incongruous that he would do it here just for a joke. Exactly. I mean, even if we know that his regeneration uh, buffer has been refilled uh, by the Time Lords uh, after his uh, last regeneration. Yep. Um, so, yes. Uh, so, and this is pretty much, uh, in my opinion, and, and maybe yours too, that the episode kind of goes off the rails a bit. And, yeah. and the, well, the, and before this, it's been pretty good. It's been okay. But after this, it is where it really kind of goes downhill. Well, the, the sad part is if you think about how the, the episode went, that, that scene went, they could have cut that regeneration part out and it would have worked just fine. You know, yeah. Bill shot the doctor. He fell over like he was shot. And then he just, you know, start clapping and stand up and right. exactly. continue on. Exactly. I did like the bit where Dave forgot to switch out his bullets for blanks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so we, we, so, and Bill recovers very quickly from this moment of having to shoot her, uh, her mentor, tutor, her friend. Um, I did, I did like her wanting to go after Nardole though. I thought that was kind of a, <laughs> yeah, yes. that was nice. I'm going to beat the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we, so the doctor says, we need help. And the only person I know who's almost as smart as me, and we know he's going to go uh, get Missy. So the, the, in order to do this, rather than just hop on a supply boat, they decide to ram the docks with the boat. I'm not yeah. sure yeah. what the this point of that is. not going to attract attention. Yeah, again, again, and where's the monk to try to stop them from doing this? Well, they the monk could, that was just on the boat a couple of scenes ago. Right, and the monks, apparently they could pull a B-52 out of the sky and a, and a submarine out of the ocean. You know, they can't stop a boat. Never mind later on, they can't stop bullets either. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to that one. Um, he, so they show up at the uh, at the at the vault at the university, and uh, you know the doctor refers to the other last time lord, and um, and Bill says, oh, "I thought you had some kind of monster in here or something. Uh, uh, it's just a woman," and um, you know, which is which, it's it's supposed to make I think make the fans kind of think, well, you know, the the master has often been a monster, so it, just don't be yeah. fooled by. It's and just the doctor says, "I do have one." Right. Yep. Right. Um, and then we have this very interesting like dialogue in which we find out that Missy is she's trying to reform. She's spent all mm -hmm. this time in here, this what, what, however many decades. We've never actually determined whether it's been a thousand years or fifty, but let's you know just say yeah. whatever the time is uh, that she's trying to reform to 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 get better. Um, conveniently, Missy has encountered the monks before and defeated them, which uh, is quite convenient for everyone concerned, I guess. Um, yeah, by the way, the doctor also in this scene suddenly knows way more about the monks than he did previously. Yes. Because they were apparently new villains to him when they were introduced on the show. But now he's telling us that they've been in control of other planets for thousands of years. Right. I mean, maybe and he's he, maybe he learned something in the six months that they, he's been under their control. But Maybe, uh, but if they're such liars and say they've been in control of Earth for thousands of years already, why would he believe it if he hadn't encountered them elsewhere? Right. 
And so Missy tells us that the monks get a foothold when, quote, some idiot, oh. poor, poor Bill, rolls her eyes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, By the way, just yeah. to give the show credit for, for one thing, um, you know, there's, the, there's a question of why would the monks want people to believe that yeah. they've always been here? Right. And they actually do give us an explanation for that, and yes. it's a reasonable one. It yep. is. Nardal explains in the initial conversation, if people think something's always been this way— then that's 90% of the battle yep. they'll tend to accept and, it. And, and again, so what what we're watching is the transition, kind of a bumpy period from where everybody knows the monks have not been here the whole time to where nobody can remember a time before the monks and we're in that kind of bumpy transition period. Right. This is the this is again another callback to 1984. We've always been at war with Eurasia or Eurasia. we've always been <laughs> at war with Oceania. Oceania. Right, right, exactly. Um so, yeah, so, and then Missy has this uh, moment where she says the monks get a foothold when someone proper, when a properly consenting human mind makes a pure request, one without an agenda or ulterior motive. But, and I'm sitting there thinking, but Bill did this have an ulterior nonsense. motive. Yeah, I mean, she handed over the planet in order to get the doctor's eyesight back. This was not a pure request. And this in is order something to save we, his life. Yeah, I mean, this was something we brought up last week, too, when, when she yep. made the request. And it's just... Like do 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 the writers not notice that this is problem, or do they not think that we're gonna notice this? Yeah, in fact, Bill is playing for smaller stakes than the UN Secretary General or the generals from last episode yep. were. They were trying to save the whole world. Bill's just trying to save one guy. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, I mean, they loved the world as much as Bill loves the doctor, you know? Right, uh, right. so it, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense in terms of the psychological dynamic. It also doesn't make any sense in terms of anything. Um, <laughs> how does this, how does this supposed to work? I mean, you, it, it, okay. You need it to be a human being. Why? Because of our genetic code. Well, why do you need a human being? Well, what do they do just, on other planets? <laughs> yeah, they don't. Presumably, they need a member of those species too, right. which yeah. I think Missy indicates. But why do they need a member of the species? Why can't they influence people's brains directly? Why do you need a living person? Why can't you just learn what you need from their genetic code? It's like, okay, this is how you control a human being. This is how you implant false memories in a human being. Okay, let's now broadcast the false memories. Or you know, or if why you need, do you need a living need link? If you need, well, if you need some kind of, you know, psychic link that from a living person, well, couldn't you just do the brain in the jar? Right. Yeah. Or any number of other things. Um, so this is one of my perennial peeves in terms of plot, which is the critical failure point uh, plot. Uh, it gets used in all kinds of bad writing to provide sudden miraculous solutions to problems yep. that the writers have built up too big. Like uh, you're 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 uh, dealing with a colony of vampires and they're unstoppable. How do you stop them? You kill the queen vampire. If you get the central yep. failure point, then a whole network falls apart. And and this is an example of that. They've just turned Bill into that so that they can solve the otherwise overwhelming problem of the monks are in control of the world by dealing with the critical failure point. This is the problem that you have with creating a villain who seems... You, you need to create this, this dramatic tension where you have a villain who seems unstoppable. 
and but you have to then stop the villain <laughs> and so you yep. have to you have to so whether it's uh, you know uh, a dragon missing a uh, a, 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 a a scale that you could shoot an arrow in or or the one ring that's that's actually where it's done well because mm-hmm. you know like or in the, the lo- original star wars right right exactly i mean the the Oh, that's actually another conversation. It'll be interesting, but uh, like, but Tolkien <laughs> builds the story of the of the Lord of the Rings around this this critical failure because it, it, it's it's in, it's integral. Whereas this is sort of just tacked on. Uh, Star Wars. The the interesting thing I want to mention was is how in Rogue One they add in the backstory yeah. for the critical failure, yep. which is kind of. Uh, Interesting. You could have an interesting debate about that on a Star Wars podcast, which we won't submit <laughs> subject our, our <laughs> Doctor Who listeners to at the moment. But you could you could check out the Secrets of Doctor Who, starring Dom Bettinelli. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> the Secrets of Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Star Wars. I didn't even do the joke right. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, Father Roderick and I did do an episode where um, we talked briefly about, but but we I, we really actually should have a podcast where we an episode where we talk about the uh, the Rogue One. Uh, element of that uh anyway that's a whole nother thing get me sidetracked i'm thinking about it um so we have the doctor then makes this leap to oh it's a psychic link oh it's the statues that are spreading the the psychic link to the world it's like uh, like where are you pulling this out of i mean i know yeah. the doctor often does this he he kind of his brilliance his brilliant mind his experience and all this stuff causes him to to come up with these explanations and things, but it just seems so sudden. Out of thin air. Yeah. Um, In in fairness, Sherlock Holmes often does the same thing, where there are way more possibilities than the ones that occur to him on the the fly. Um, But as the main character, both Sherlock Holmes and the Doctor tend to leap to the correct conclusion most of the time. Well, Sometimes they don't. This sounds like the uh, last episode where the what's the greatest threat to the to the world? Oh, something biological. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same kind of reasoning. Right, right. Uh, so uh, we have this actually this really uh, you know um, Missy again with the great the great acting uh, the great the great line Michelle Gomez. Um, you know, Bill says the linchpin is me, and Missy says awkward. <laughs> Just yeah, like, a great moment. I love that. Um, and Missy says, you know, it's it's not enough for Bill to die; she has to be made brain dead. She has to still be alive. Um, if they just kill her, then you have to wait for the bad memories to fade. Whereas if you just wipe her mind, it it, it downloads well, yeah. the blankness Ancient or something. Memory. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that went by too fast. They didn't explain that well. Uh, the doctor says that this suggestion... Uh, actually, this is a really nice part. I like this, uh, interchanging the doctor and Missy, where he says um, her suggestion that Bill has to, you know, his plus one has to die, um, shows that Missy really hasn't changed, but she rejects it. And she says, mm-hmm. you know, your version of good is not absolute. It's vain, arrogant, sentimental. If you're waiting for me to become all that, I'm going to be here for a long time. And then she talks about how, you know, in the past, she would, you know, destroy a city just to see how it felt, you know. And now, you know, her, this destruction she's proposing is in order to save, you know, seven billion people. Um, and it, she, she posits it's different. And that's an interesting moral quandary that she proposes. And Bill agrees with Missy on this. Right. So you've got Bill and Doctor on the other side of a question, and it actually matters, and it's a moral question. And right. 
it's both viewpoints are at least understandable. You know, obviously, at most, one of them can be correct, but if both viewpoints are at least understandable. Yes. Um, and so, you know, one of the things, I, uh, questions I came up with at this point was, you know, we oh, I just thought of another solution. Oh, <laughs> they could have just they could have just put Bill into a medically induced coma, and she would have been not have any consciousness to broadcast through this weirdo psychic link, and they could have cleansed out the memories and then taken Bill out of the medical coma. Or uh, taking her far away from Earth. Um, yeah, there, there you go. Another, or into or another time. Another time. So yeah, I was going to say, you know, gee, gee, if only the doctor had a time and space machine that could go oh, anywhere in the universe so and anywhere in time. Which, interestingly, <laughs> we don't see at all in this episode. Uh, it's mentioned once. Yeah, it's mentioned, mentioned once. That's it. And uh, But not seen. Yeah, that they they must have had struggles with the uh, TARDIS's contracts contract renewal for that episode. <laughs> That's right. Need to take a break. Go to the Azores for for a weekend. Um, <laughs> so uh, one of the things that occurred to me is, is was the point of the computer simulation in Veritas, in, you know, the extremists, um, not necessarily to identify the Doctor as the big problem, but to identify Bill as the linchpin. I wonder. Like they how? don't really establish it. I think no. they just, in general, gamed out. They wanted to game out every possible scenario so they'd know how to react in their takeover. Mm. Well, then they would have the history, too, of Earth that they could then use for their propaganda. That's true. That's actually a good, yeah, uh, sure. a good point. Yeah. So uh, they, we, we come up with a mission. The mission is we have to uh, break into the monk's uh, pyramid headquarters, which is moved from um, far away is gone to l- the middle of London. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that. Far away is gone. Yeah, and to- not only is it in the not only is it in the middle of London, it's like right across the street from the rebel headquarters <laughs> that you access by coming in off the street within sight of the pyramid. <laughs> Well, this I, is not the best place to put your your <laughs> rebel headquarters. I guess. Uh, well, if you if you plan on sneaking in someday, uh, so the 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 plan is to put the doctor inside the machine that beams out the psychic signal, um, and then they have everyone get their iPods and one very old Walkman apparently uh, to yeah. play anti propaganda voiced by Bill on a loop to counteract the psychic uh, link, which is strongest closer to the pyramid. Um, and then we have another Bill voiceover talking talking to her mom about what's going on, and then we then we hear her voiceover. Um, well, not talking to her mom, but t- talking to them about this is propaganda. This isn't really happening. Um, I thought this was pretty effective. Yeah, as, you know this sequence, and yeah. I, and they then go into the entirely unguarded pyramid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't and even like human guards there. There was nothing. It was just a wide open door. It was, door was even open, closed. The door wasn't even closed. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then they get inside, and the the the, uh, the monks now have these uh, uh, superpowers of lightning and creating uh, shield the shields. Here in front yeah, of the lightning kind of becomes solid, which yeah. I thought was actually pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, they, but they, but. Apparently, doesn't they? They don't stop bullets. I mean, they, again, these monks could make airplanes fall out of the sky and ships cast out of the sea, but they can't miraculously stop a, heal blindness with no instrumentality <laughs> on the other yep. end. Right, but they can't stop a couple bullets. Uh, you know, a couple of guys running around with guns, um, which apparently just, the doctor didn't have much problem with guns in this episode, if you, as if you notice. Not as yeah, usually. They just he usually need does. Kevlar robes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
So uh, Nardole apparently knows the Vulcan neck pinch or something else that he that he calls something else neck pinch. I didn't catch the name, but but, uh, but it but it doesn't work on his other hand that he won in a gambling. <laughs> yes, it is some kind of game. Yeah. Um, uh, and enter what, uh, as the doctor calls it, fake news central. And uh, there's a term that called from um, current events, American politics. Yep. Um, Recent American politics. Yep. Yeah, and it, 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 it's so. Is is that the issue of the week? I mean, we seem to be dealing with an issue, a current events issue of the week, and the, is it the, this one uh, fake news and propaganda? Maybe. Well, this this episode was recorded right about the time of the American presidential inauguration, beginning yes. of January. Yes. Mm. So that would be about the right time for them to use that message. Right. I I wondered if uh, if it was meant to re- the phrase fake news central was meant to resonate with the phrase Fox News Central. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, if we're going for a 1984 vibe, the, you know, that there's certainly plenty of elements in propaganda in 1984. But in that, you, you know, ten years ago, would the line have been, oh, you know, we're entering the Ministry of Truth, perhaps, you know, or uh, of mm-hmm. big, big Brother's domain or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but we're, but yep. By the way, one thing I wanted to give the episode props for, I'm looking for things to give it props for. <laughs> but one of, one of the things I liked is just on the visual design level is when we see, you know, the interior of this space of their broadcast center. It's they're in a pyramid and it's pyramid based and so all of the little screens we see are triangles. Yep. And and they have different things playing on them. I assume they did this, you know, via computer. But what I like about it is the the fact that it's a genuinely non-contemporary visual screen because if you watch lots of science fiction like if you go watch early doctor who whenever they have aliens with a <clears throat> with a visual screen of some kind it's almost always a contemporary tv screen that would have that yep. kind of you know bulgy rectangle feel to it yeah um or if uh even in star trek next generation the the monitor on captain picard's desk is way thicker than it would be in the 24th century yeah because they wanted it to be a functional monitor right. on the set and so so alien screens inevitably look human in their design and i liked here that they they had these simple triangles without that you know that looked plausible and weren't simply a representation of something we already use here in the 21st century right they, they definitely felt alien the feel of this room to me and i know i brought up the last week was it it had a strong feel of um, again, the the architect in the Matrix, uh, that mm-hmm. last the last uh, the third uh, Matrix movie, I think it was, um, where you know he's it's this this controlling figure at the center of it all who's projecting a false reality, um, and I and you know at least. At least in this one, I had a little more understanding of what was going on in the Matrix. I had no clue what I didn't understand anything. I watched that scene three times. I still don't know what happened. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I just had a strong. I feel like this this um, had a strong homage uh, element to it for for the the the, the architect in the Matrix. But uh, so the Doctor, being the Doctor, he wants to he wants to be the hero, stop the monks his own way without having to sacrifice Bill. But of course, we know that Bill. Uh, that's not going to work because that's just the way it works uh, in Doctor Who. Um, 
he's knocked out. And so Bill ties up the doctor so she can sacrifice herself. Uh, but then it turns out Bill is dying for nothing because she was having her memories hijacked um, by yeah. the by this controlling monk. And and then... Um, Wait, which part of the scene are we at? Where the doctor is, is so, trying to purge or where bill is trying to have her brain wiped. so after the doctor fails to to uh, okay. to purge and he's knocked out and then right. B- bill kind of ties him up so that she can she can uh do it too that she can take mm-hmm. her sacrifice herself essentially um and so say, by the way this it, is the point that i felt was if you, by the conceit that they had put out there in the first place of so this is how you fix the problem Probably the most believable part of it, where it was too powerful for the doctor, so but the doctor could prevent them from taking over him, but Bill couldn't. She was too weak. Right. She couldn't, you know. So it was believable that, okay, if they've got this power that they can overwhelm the doctor and knock him out, then Bill's brain is just going to be a wide open door. Yeah, but then why would they want to scoop everything out of that door? I mean, I agree with you on that point. You're correct. She wouldn't have any defense against them, but... Why wouldn't they realize, oh, this is the mind of the node and we need to keep her memories in place so we can well, keep broadcasting through guess, her? So let's just stop. Yeah. I guess my thought was that gives them hard, stronger control over her, makes their message easier to broadcast. I don't know. Yeah. Just guess off the top of my head. But then we, we get, you know, of course, Bill does not end up sacrificing herself. And all of that build up to Bill. I mean, we just knew that Bill was not going to have to die. Uh, right. Yep. So what we have is then um, her memory of her mother uh, is what saves her and, and becomes powerful and gets pushed out. And then I, as I sat back, um, you know, the doctor says this line, I thought I was just being kind, but I was saving the world. Uh, when, he got, when he went back in time to get those photos of Bill's mom, and I sat down and realized... Is this the whole reason Bill's mom existed? Is this the payoff for Bill's mom from the beginning? Are we not going to get ho- anything else of significance about Bill's mom? We might not. I'm hoping we do because yeah. this is not an adequate resolution to that arc. No. Um, the uh, And frankly, the whole mother love saves the day trope is incredibly cliched. <laughs> and it's just another miraculous. Why does, Bill, why does Bill's tenuous memory of her mom why does that save everything yeah how right. does that i mean why well it's um, not even a memory it's it's a character she built up that resembles her mom exactly so yeah. so she's she's invested some emotion in this but how is that saving the day i mean it's just a deus ex machina or perhaps a mater ex machina in this case <laughs> and well, and li- literally on the ex machina and, but um it just it doesn't work any better than that Widow the Witch in the Wardrobe Christmas special where, again, mother love suddenly saves everything for no believable reason. But, Jimmy, I think that this is, this is a, a encapsulation of the zeitgeist uh, that, we, that we have in our society today. And now I'm going to go on my little, my little rant. But um, uh-huh. that it's about emotion. It's about a pure, um, like my emotion. It's not about a yep. reality. It's not about a substance. It's not about, but it's about it. The the reality that I imagine in myself is the most powerful thing that that can exist. And we see that. I don't without getting into too much of the cultural uh, culture wars 
issues that are related to it. But we see that very often in the world around us, where people really, you know, the where we invest so much into the the each, you know, your emotion is so important, and it's whether it's based on reality, whether it's based on the truth, is sort of irrelevant. It's just it's important to you, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what we have here. Is we have Bill has created this imagined person who she never knew. She doesn't. She never knew her mother. Uh, like, yeah. so she's created this imaginary person that becomes her reality, and so we fight against. Essentially, what they've told us is we fight propaganda by creating a new lie. <laughs> well, it's in the way they explained it is how is it like she's a symbol of absolute purity. A pure, irresistible, incorruptible there image, but but it's but it is just an image. I mean, we have no idea if Bill's mom was even a good person, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she we could have nothing. been a horrible mother. We just don't know. Yeah, uh, she could have she could have died through some fault of her own, even like, right. I mean, she could have maybe she abandoned Bill I went, mean, or went out drunk driving or something. Yep. I mean, she exactly. named her daughter Bill. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a horrible mother. No. Oh, that's not that's not so bad. That's not as bad as being a boy named Sue. Well, there you go. There you go. Yes. Uh, uh, um, also, just to I, add add something that was it's it's been sitting here, uh, the elephant in the room from the first episode. Who is Bill's dad, and why don't we care? Mm-hmm. That's 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 a, yeah. an elephant in the room he? for me. Yeah. So. The, Speaking of things in rooms, um, this uh, this moment in the story also gets back to another one of my pet writing peeves, which is um, the solution we have to this episode to the to the climax of the problem where it's being solved is basically people standing in a room talking dramatically. And yeah. this is this is something, this is another bad writing cliche. This was all through the early episodes of Star Trek Voyager, where in episode after episode, everyone's standing on the bridge talking dramatically in front of consoles at the climax yeah. of the episode, and then everything is okay. And that's what we that's exactly what we have here. People are standing in front of screens talking dramatically, and suddenly everything is solved. Yeah. Yes, yes, I agree with that. and and it and it's solved very quickly. I mean, the the monks just decide to leave. Oh well, that's that's enough for that. We're done. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, my we lost most goodbye. most most feckless world dominators ever. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then they go to the effort of erasing themselves from human memory and apparently destroying all the paintings and all the clothes and and statues and implant six months of fake memories to fill well, the, the, the gap. I guess the whole thing about uh, was it about what you know? What do uh, dictators do when they realize they lose power? You know, they run away. No, a lot of dictators, when they're realizing they're losing power, they turn on the guns. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Force it, that power back. Exactly. Exactly. It's it. It wasn't like the monks were never believable. They never like. I didn't. I had no understanding of what you know why they're there. They have no agency, no motivation. They're just simply props for the doctor to play against. Um, now, now, having to just to hold out a glimmer of hope on that, yep. there has been the speculation that the monks are are something other than what they appear. Right. In which case, we could have some payoff later in the season that could explain some of this. But to my mind, at this point, that seems like a real long shot. Well, right. we talked like the Cybermen because you know they they talk with their mouth open without open. moving their lips. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's uh, the fact that they showed 
the Cybermen being destroyed by the monks kind of maybe it's saying they aren't. Maybe it's a di- diversion. I don't know. That? Yeah, well, remember they the regular the, Cybermen. The intro scenes. Yeah. Oh, I see. Regular Cybermen. Oh, not, yeah. Not okay. The, not the In this episode. Yeah. yeah. Also, by the way, notice um, we have no FaceTime with the villains in this episode. I mean, we encounter them walking through hallways on the ship or in the pyramid, and we've got the silent one there. But we have no interaction between the protagonist and the antagonist. And that's another reason why this episode falls flat, because we don't understand the antagonist They're simply ciphers, as you said, Dom, for the doctor to play against. But he doesn't even get to talk to them in this episode. No monk has a line of dialogue. And that means that the relationship between the two is uh, we don't have effective dramatic tension established in that regard. Well, including the one that they keep grabbing his head. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one guy that. Yeah. He He doesn't say get your hands off my head or anything. Or, you know, he uses monk superpower whichever whatever it is i mean nothing i mean it's just very very odd like the whole the whole thing um so we we are now um have bill and the doctor sitting at the base of this destroyed statue plinth um kind of talking about oh bill's very hopeful that now uh, we, we all of the earth understands uh, oppression and we'll never be let ourselves be oppressed again. And then the doctor, you know, points out the asks the girl with the bad hair, um, you know, what what's going on and what's this statue and she doesn't know. And so we're left to believe that, like I said, the, the six months of fake memories. Nobody remembers what happened. Um, I just I get all those the, people waking up in concentration camps. Right. I mean, th- th- is. They put everything back to back together before they left. The monks did, you know, apparently. You know, they put everything back in its place. Um, and they can all do that miraculously, maybe, but can't stop bullets. Yeah, right. And and why bother? Like, why do they care? Like, that was yeah. They're that, leaving. Yeah, like why did like it just that was the thing that got me. Is like why like why do they why do they fix things? Um, so I, although I did like the doctor kind of giving grief to the uh, college girl. Uh, because it reminds you so much of these videos you see online of people going to college campuses and quizzing students on, you know, basic civics and American history yep. and, and and them not understanding it. So it, it had a, a kind of a funny feeling like that. Um, then Bill kind of says to the doctor, well, why do you put up with us if we're all so, you know, silly and stupid? And we get that line from the doctor because amongst 7 billion, there's always someone like you. And we get this, this nice uh, feeling yeah. between the doctor and Bill. Um, and, and, uh, and then the, the last, uh, scene is to the vault. And now this is, this is good. This is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Missy is crying and she's crying over all the people she's killed. And she says, she confesses she didn't know that she knew all their names and, um, and you know, a few more lines like that. And she finishes by saying, you didn't tell me about this bit. And he's, and he replies, it's good. Like as in, it's good that you're going through this, um, mm-hmm. and it's, so yep. it's it's a very it's a very interesting and effective moment, um, and I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, when does Missy like go back to being the master again? Uh, that's that's the it's sitting in the back of my mind. You know, yeah. if they continue this plot line like this, where she actually is seeking to to use a Catholic term, convert. Um, 
trying to change, that'll make the uh, the r- rumored or suggested two masters episode all the more interesting when you mm-hmm. get the John mm-hmm. Sims master yeah. who's as evil as he was, and you get the converted Missy who's trying to be good. That could be that could actually be kind of fun if they play it out right. Yeah, it would set up a lot of tension between the two versions of the character. Um, I'm, I'm, I can obviously in the future of the show, the master is going to revert to being a villain. But um, I'm thinking that, and I'm hoping that they have more to go with Michelle Gomez and her therapeutic process. That I, I, I could imagine her continuing to to try to be good through the rest of 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 her time in this season which she said is going to be her last and then let the next incarnation of the master revert to evil yeah um that to me would be the most interesting way to uh to use this character at this point you know it's interesting that john sim is coming back just as a uh, the in britain they're preparing for uh, elections uh uh, oh yeah, I, I yeah, saw online. Harold Saxon will not <laughs> yes. win this time. <laughs> yeah. I saw some folks posting Harold Saxon posters on uh, on some Doctor Who uh, Facebook pages. Um, you know, so you know, there's something. Um, people may jibe at Americans for having elected Donald Trump, but at least we didn't elect Harold Saxon. <laughs> exactly. But oh. As far as we know. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I think you know. To wrap up, I think we know how we feel about <laughs> the listeners know how we feel about uh, this episode. But um, any final thoughts, uh, guys, uh, on 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 Lie of the Land? Um, Father Corey, why don't you go first? You know, I don't know. I, I think we really kind of talked about. It. I guess my my whole thoughts were more of the trilogy. This could have been so much more. They could have done so much cool stuff with this. And they really didn't. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess, you know, I, I think of this, what my, one of my thoughts as we were talking at the beginning was if this had been a classic who episode or serial, it probably would have been half a season, you know, 25 minutes at a time, but it probably would have been a half a season and right. they would have filled in that six months with different things going on. We would have seen the transition from, before the monks to after the monks instead of this all of a sudden, Oh, everything changed, you know? So yeah. I, I was just very disappointed in the whole thing in general. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this episode was the weakest of the trilogy. I thought the trilogy started out relatively strong with, yep. uh, with extremis and then it got worse and then it continued to get worse. I did think this episode had good things in it. I really enjoyed the performances of Pearl Mackey and Peter Capaldi and Matt Lucas and Michelle Gomez. They were great in terms of their acting, but the writing was was not great. The pl- there were some clever lines. Uh, there was some clever design work. I mentioned that. Um, but the the story logic just was not there. And it also relied on a bunch of of bad writing tropes including critical failure point and over over exposition and uh, standing around talking dramatically for the climax and the mother love cliche so I didn't I didn't like any of that Um, one of the things also the unexplained heel turn that the doctor did um, yep. that's a 
for people who may not be familiar, heel turn is a term from professional wrestling where a good guy suddenly becomes bad. And that's what we had at the beginning of this episode was the doctor had taken a heel turn and um, a heel being a bad guy. uh, um, And and it was not done effectively in this case. I mean, he sold the propaganda narration well, but when Bill encounters him, we don't have a plausible explanation for all of this. It's, it's not handled well. And just this week, by coincidence, um, I happened to be listening to a Big Finish audio play starring uh, Peter Davidson's Fifth Doctor. Mm-hmm. And, he, and it also had a heel turn in it where the doctor apparently all of a sudden is a sincere agent of the Daleks who's been killing people in their service. And in in listening to it, I was just thinking, wow, this is so much better than what I'm getting on the TV version of things, which is something I'd actually like to talk about in future weeks. Um, but uh, but they then have an explanation for the apparent heel turn there that makes sense and that allows the character of the Doctor to continue to be able to function. Because if the Doctor ever you know, really became a mass murderer, it kind of ruined the character. And so I was just impressed by the way Big Finish handled a similar situation to what we saw on the air this week, but did it better. And if you're interested in checking that uh, audio play out, it's called Alien Heart Dalek Soul. Okay. I got to I gotta nice. listen to, to the uh, these big audio finish uh, productions because it's uh, – I'm – I'm fascinated by the idea of, of getting more stories from the doctors that uh, that I've enjoyed in the past because yep. mm-hmm. because they get the actual actors and and and, and involved. So that's um, I, I gotta I gotta pick some up. I gotta get. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think to a few I, of them. I think I, I think I'm gonna do a little like a blog post as a guide to kind of a good introduction to this. Oh, Maybe I can talk about that on a future program. Definitely. Yeah, I've, I've listened to a few of them and they're they're. They're they're very they're well done actually. The audio recording is is quite well done, um, and of course because they are audio, they have they have to do exposition, but they yeah. do it right. Why are you yeah. holding that gun on me? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's you know the, the the difference. I would you know if you're if you're a sports fan like I you know I like baseball, I like football. A lot of times I prefer to listen to the audio broadcast, the radio broadcast of the games versus watching it on TV because on TV they don't have to describe what's happening on the field. So they sit there and blather on about how great all these players are and how much charity they do and all these history and all this stuff. You know, they just blather on and on and on. On the radio broadcast, they actually have to describe what's going on. Yeah. You know, these people mm-hmm. are lined up here and it's this is going on and that's there. And, you know, it's the same thing with these audio dramas. They don't spend as much time with, you know, the some of the silly stuff we just we talk about because they actually have to describe what 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 is on the scene. Yeah, well, I, I, if you do that, Jimmy, I'd love to. I'd love to see it because that that would be a good, a great help for me at least. So, uh, count, okay. count me in. Uh, so, my take on on the trilogy is um, similar to yours. Um, I feel like this the the monks should have been a season long arc. I mean, they've done that before, uh, building up to and then encountering and then overcoming this great villain over the whole course of a, of a whole series, a whole season. Um, th- Otherwise, they just, you know, each each element of this trilogy had, was a was a completed story. I guess. I mean, extremists was a was a complete 
front to back. You know, it had to be one one episode, uh, so you couldn't really bleed in the stuff from Pyramid at the End of the World into that. Or I mean, so they kind of built, put themselves into this box, and then they got mm-hmm. stuck with having to. Well, the third episode has to have all this rest of the material, and so we've got to do all these tricks and gimmicks, and, and it ended up just hurting the show. I mean, it hurt the episode to have to to have to do all this. Um, I hope. I hope this was that the some of the things that happened here are just precursors to revisiting them in the rest of the season. I hope this is not the you know the last we see of Bill and her mom. That there's more to the story after all we've built up with it. Um, and I and I'm kind of hoping that everything that happened in this we're having to do with the monks is as a precursor to something coming later. But like like you said, Jimmy, they just they. They used the tropes too much, and they, I think I felt like they manipulated the 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 fans uh, in several different places in this episode, yep. and I just never liked that. So that's this episode. We we can look forward to to uh, revisiting some classic Doctor Who elements and villains next week. Um, let ice me, warriors, yeah, ice yeah. warriors. Let me play the uh, sound of the trailer uh, for next week's episode, uh, Empress of Mars, and then we can uh, wrap up after that. There were humans on Mars in Victorian times. No, there weren't. Friday asked for my help. In return, for what? Art! This could be the entrance to a next warrior hive. Friday has been using you all along. His aim was to get back to Mars and find his queen. Rise, my ice warriors! Rise! I dare say the British army is more than a match for a bunch of upright crocodiles. <laughs> so that's <laughs> classic Doctor. Oh, Who. there's not not going to be any camp at all next week. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Rise, my ice warriors! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's choose some scenery. Uh, there's even going to be some uh, foam-covered rocks, I think, as for what it looked like from the trailer. So <laughs> we'll, awesome, we'll have some of that. So, uh, Empress of Mars. There'll be uh, there's going to be plenty of. Um, uh, classic Doctor Who references we're going to need from you, Jimmy, so get prepared for that. Uh, otherwise, uh, that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of Lie of the Land? You know, uh, we had a few folks uh, write in our Facebook page. Uh, Lauren Ellis really didn't like this episode. <laughs> uh, go read our, her comments on our Facebook page. Uh, visit uh, Tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us your feedback. Um, we'll be back next week. Like I said, we'll discuss the Empress of Mars. Uh, until then, Father Corey, where can people find you online? Uh, probably easiest place is my website, frcorey.org, or Facebook and Twitter at frcoreystika, last name spelled S-T-I-C-H-A. And Jimmy, your, uh, your web uh, location? Uh, the central hub for everything Jimmy Aiken online is jimmyaiken.com, J-I-M-M-Y-A-K-I-N.com. And you can find me at uh, betnet.com, B-E-T-T-N-E-T.com. And you can see all my social media links there. And if you, you know, if you want to find all these links, they'll be on the, the show notes at tridio.com. Uh, and so the last thing I have to say is uh, thank you for listening. And remember, relax, do as you're told, your future is taken care of. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.